My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, says Jesus. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I won't lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know Him, and you have seen Him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, after I have been with among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Amen. Then we read a few verses from the end of the Bible, from the book of Revelation chapter 21. John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth and heaven had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe 
every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Amen. And thanks be to God for His Word. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to You, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Tomorrow, as all eyes are fixed on events in Westminster Abbey, as we watch and no doubt we see the pomp and the circumstance and we spot the celebrities in the crowd and the VIPs that have gathered as we see the soldiers and their horses and all the show of it, can I invite you to be praying for two people? One is the Archbishop of Canterbury and the other is the Dean of Westminster. Why? because they are going to have an opportunity to preach the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, perhaps to the largest audience that there has ever been. You know, I'm a bit nervous when I stand up here and look at all you folk, and I have an opportunity to share God's Word with you. They're going to preach to billions tomorrow. And I know that our late Queen would have wanted them to clearly and with confidence and faith, proclaim the good news. I don't know what the passage will be that they'll preach from. It might well be John 14 that we read there. Because that passage, John 14, was read at the service in St. Giles um, last week, and it was read again when the Queen's coffin was taken to Westminster Hall, and there was a brief service there led by the Archbishop of Canterbury. John 14 was read. And in fact, of all the passages in the Bible, it is the passage that I have read publicly more than any other passage. Why? Because we read it at most funerals. Not always. There are some other good passages we can use instead. But almost all funerals, that passage is read out. But it's not often preached on. And it's read out partly, I think, and asked for partly because of chapter 14, verse 2, where it says this, my father's house has many rooms, or in the old Bible, in my father's house there are many mansions. And those words have really stuck out for an awful lot of people when they thought about the Christian hope. They're found very comforting by people even that don't have a strong Christian faith. Even Elvis sang of many mansions in the sky. That idea that somehow there is a life after death, there is a happy place to go to. Folk will say, even people who don't really have a Christian faith, he's gone to a better place. I I was at a a humanist funeral a while back where that's exactly what the humanist said. He's passed in the journey to a better place. And you thought, you don't even believe that, do you? You know, 
One of the problems, though, with this verse is that people hear it at funerals, but they don't hear it in the context. And so their image is with those big houses in the sky and with what might happen in those places. But they miss the center of the Christian hope because that isn't actually what Jesus is saying. Because what Jesus is saying is incredibly personal. It's not about a house or a place or or the nature of what a, a life after death might be like. It's about Him. Jesus answered, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Think about those words for a minute. Just those four words, comes to the Father. You see, that is the center of this passage. That is the center of the hope that He's giving the disciples when they're facing all that's about to happen in Gethsemane and the cross and everything else, and all that sense of losing everything. They're saying that the whole of it, Jesus is saying, is about this personal relationship. My Father's house has many rooms. My Father's house. Not a place, but a person and a whole relationship. Let me put it this way, because it it maybe helps you to think about it. My father's house. You know, my father had two houses. One of them was his home in Rutherglen. Uh, And when I went to my father's house, I wasn't going there because it was a nice house or a beautiful house or it had lots of rooms. I was going there because I was going to see dad. It was about relationship. The other house, well, really a caravan, (laughs) is up in Fife. And when when, when we went there, we didn't really go to see anybody. We went there because it was a nice place to go for a holiday. You see the difference? What does Jesus mean when he says, my father's house? Because what he doesn't mean is, oh, it's a great place to go when you die. You know, there's a jacuzzi and there's Wi-Fi and there's, there's great food and there's TV and there's lots of parties and, oh, it's a fantastic house. And what, what he really meant to say is the whole point is that you're going to see my Father. You're going to the presence of my Father. The destination is personal. You're going to come into the presence of Him in whom there is forgiveness and in whom there is love and whom there is, forg- there is healing and whom there is peace, where your tears will be dried, your questions will be answered, your hopes will be met, all the yearnings of your heart that you've had your whole existence will be met. Not when you sit in a jacuzzi with a Wi-Fi in a wonderful house with brilliant frescoes, but when you know God Himself and you know that you're a child, and you know that you're loved, and you know you are complete. When Jesus uses the term, my my father's house, no, not there. When Jesus uses the term, my father's house, usually, uh, and we find this in chapter 2 of John's gospel, he's actually referring to the temple. Remember when, when Jesus was a, was a wee boy, and this is in Luke's gospel, actually, and, 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 and he was lost, and, and, and they found him. Well, he wasn't lost. They were lost. They found him in the temple. What did he say? I had to be in my father's house. And it, 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 he was thinking about the temple. 
And the temple was an amazing building. It was actually one of the wonders of the world. It it was fantastic architecture. Herod the Great had made it beautiful. But that wasn't why Jews went to the temple, just to go, oh, wow. They went to the temple because it was the place where heaven touched the earth. It was the place that reminded the Jews that their God had said, I am with you. I'm going to live among you like I went through the desert with you, like I was in the tabernacle when you needed me. It was the place where they came and they found a pointer to what life was all about. Right from the beginning in Genesis when men and women had walked in the garden with God. They enjoyed creation. They enjoyed all He'd made. They enjoyed all the physical world. But the most important thing was to walk and enjoy it all with God. And that is the key to the Christian hope. Yes, the world will physically be restored. Yes, relationships will be there again. Yes, we will know each other in that great communion of saints. But more than anything else, we will enjoy it as we are always meant to enjoy it in the presence of the Father who loves us utterly. Christian hope isn't just that life will continue once we have died. It's that there will be a new city and a new world and a new house. And in that house, we will be with the Lord. That's what Revelation points to. This passage in John's gospel is part of four chapters which are called the farewell discourse. And in it, Jesus is upsetting his friends because time and time again, he's saying to them, I'm going away. I'm going away. This presence that you've had, that you've enjoyed with me, it's about to come to an end. And what he's pointing to is what is going to happen that very night when he goes out to Gethsemane and then the soldiers come and he's arrested and he's tried and the whole thing will go in fast forward, as it were, before it comes to the agony of the cross as the tortured Christ is put to death. And the whole world of the disciples will collapse. I'm going away. And he says it again and again and again because they can't take it in. They're in denial. They're putting it all out of their heads. And Peter says, Lord, if you're going away, we'll follow you. We'll even die with you. We'll go wherever you go. We just don't want to be away from you. And And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you won't even make it through the night without me. And here is the reality, is it not? of death, where the world collapses, where all the good times seem to end, where the hopes are crushed, where we're left sometimes, even people who have no faith and and no interest in God, hanging on to the houses in the sky, even when they're not sure if they believe a word of it. And into the middle of all that, Jesus says words that are so important. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, he's not saying it's all going to be okay. In fact, he spent the last three, four chapters telling them it's not going to be okay. But do not let your hearts be troubled. 
You know, one of the things that I'm always struck with is that God does not want Christians to be unsure. He wants you to have peace, to have confidence that no matter what happens, you have no reason to be afraid. Why? Well, he goes on to say, do not be afraid because my Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. So, the first thing here is that there are many rooms. There is lots and lots of rooms. You know, I, I, was, I was reading that there's going to be 500 VIPs in London tomorrow. Not just VIPs, but heads of state and their partners. 500 of them. And plus all the hangers-on and all the, the security and all those soldiers and all those extra policemen. Where are they all going to stay? Well, they find a hotel room. And then I was reading that Buckingham Palace has got, I couldn't believe this, 775 rooms in Buckingham Palace. 775 rooms, 52 royal bedrooms, and 188 staff bedrooms. Now, I think I live in a big house because it's got four bedrooms, but imagine that. There are 78 bathrooms in Buckingham Palace. See the things you learn when you come to church. And that's just Buckingham Palace because that's not the only palace. Nearby, they've got Clarence House and Kensington Palace and Windsor Castle and Hampton Court and a whole load of other things beside. My monarch has many mansions. But you know, What Jesus is saying here is not that God has lots of rooms, but it's much more personal. God's heart has lots of room. God's heart has lots of room. It's the size of God's heart that's speaking here. And in the context, Jesus saying to Peter, you will fail. But don't be afraid, because there's room for you. And to Thomas, full of doubts, who isn't sure if he can believe a word of it, Thomas, you will doubt, but don't be afraid. There is room for you. And John, you will run away like a wee boy, whimpering for your mommy. But don't be afraid. Because there is room for you, and there is room for you, and there is room for you, and there is more room for you. Again, it's this Jesus reassuring words. This is why John 14 should be read at funerals when we're unsure and we're afraid. Blessed assurance. And he says, how do you know that? You know that because I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know this because I have done enough. That you don't need to sit there wondering, have you done enough? And that's one of the reasons that Christians so often are afraid. Because they're sitting there thinking, I hope I've done enough. I've tried to live the life. And Jesus is looking these disciples in the eyes and saying, it doesn't matter. You've not done enough. You will fail. But I have prepared the place for you. 
You know, the funeral service tomorrow will speak of the tremendous achievements of Her Majesty the Queen. And some of our detractors will argue about whether she really is worthy of all this praise and adulation. But at the heart of every Christian service is not a minister standing up and saying, what a wonderful person this has been. But it is the gospel message that Jesus has done enough, that Jesus has given the victory. So it doesn't matter whether your eulogy is 27 pages of all the wonderful charity works you've done or whether someone's standing up and thinking, well, he never really did much. It doesn't make any difference. And that is the assurance that we have. And that is the tremendous relief that allows us to serve the Lord, but not out of a sense of fear about what happens. Jesus said to His disciples, I've told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. <laughs> this afternoon, we've got some house guests coming um, to have lunch and, um, well, the house needs prepared, doesn't it, when you have guests coming? Somebody has to hoover the hall, have we? Not yet. Someone has to clean the bathroom. And if I haven't done that, I'm in trouble. We have to prepare the place. So when Jesus says, you know, I'm going to prepare a place for you, is it because God's house dirty and Jesus better go up there and, and, and clean it and make sure the walls are nice and uh, maybe paint the magnolia so that you feel at home when you get there? Is that what it's about? No, it's not. What has Jesus been telling them through these chapters? He's been telling them that He's going to die, that He's going to give His life. You see, God's house isn't lacking in anything. God's house is perfect. God's house is holy. God's presence is true and good and righteous. And to sit before your Father in that place is the greatest privilege. There could be nothing better, nothing more fulfilling. The problem isn't that the house is dirty. The problem is that we are dirty. That's the blockage, that we don't deserve to go there, that we don't deserve to be in His presence. And Jesus is saying, I am going to prepare that place, prepare that way. I am going to give my life at the cross and rise again to clear the blockage. That you may have confidence that someday, one day, you will follow the way that I have led and you will be in God's perfect presence. Of course, grumpy Thomas responds to him by saying, well, we don't know the ways. How do we get there? God has room for grumpy people in His kingdom as well. That's a real relief, isn't it? Jesus says to Thomas, I'm the way. I'm the truth you need to trust. I'm the way you need to go. I'm the life that you just need to accept as a free gift. It's not about your way, but it's about following me and what I offer. And he goes on to say, if I go, I will take you to where I am. Now, this is the point the commentators aren't quite sure what Jesus means by that. Does he mean the resurrection when he comes back? Or does he mean that when we die, he'll take us to this place? Or, or does he mean that day when he comes back in all his glory and, and perfects the world? Well, we can't be quite sure but here's the thought. 
that again, it's relational. I come that you might be with me as I am with the Father, and you might be in that place of peace, that full knowledge of God. It's what Revelation is pointing at when it talks about this city that will descend. It's a picture language. But you get that idea that, that it, it's a community. It's lots and lots and lots and lots of people, but right in the center of it is God. His presence, His perfection. You know, there won't be any priests in heaven. There won't be any temples in heaven. There won't be any ministers in heaven because you won't need all of that because we will simply be in the presence of God. There's one passage that's almost always used at funeral services. And it's not from the words of Jesus at all. It's from the book of Psalms. It is, of course, the 23rd Psalm. And the 23rd Psalm is used because of the last verse. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And there we are again, isn't it? We're back to the mansions, the big house. But you know, when David wrote that, and when it was sung in the generations that come, what people's mind was on when they thought of the house of the Lord was the temple, God's house. So if you read that in one way, what it's really saying is you're going to spend all eternity in the church. I don't know if that fills you with glee. <laughs> Sounds like my idea of punishment at times. But that's not really what it's about. It's about the presence of God. And to understand what that's about, you need to remember the rest of the psalm, don't you? The shepherd who tends and provides, who's been there your whole life in the difficult times and the valleys of the shadow of death. And then that completion, that you're absolutely safe because He will see you home. Of course, we've got a thousand questions, haven't we, about what that will be like, what that will feel like, what that will look like. We only get hints in the Gospels, and the best hint we've got is in the resurrection stories where it, it talks about Jesus having passed through death, and yet He's physical. He eats fish. You will eat fish in heaven. <laughs> You will heat fish in this new creation. People recognized him. He talked to his friends. All of those things are a great reassurance and a pointer. But you see, we're not given a set of details. We're given this promise that the Lord who has been good to us will be everything for us. That's why this is relational. And that's why this is good news for us. Not the answer to every question we have, but an invitation, as Jesus says in the beginning, do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled, but trust in God and trust also in me. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come and we give you thanks at this time of national mourning that your church can proclaim the good news 
of the resurrection. We pray just now for the archbishop and the dean, even now as they finish preparing to preach, that by your Holy Spirit you will take their words amplified through the media, that many may hear the gospel promise. We pray that it would be a reassurance to those that believe and a testimony to those who do not yet believe. We pray in uncertain times that it will point to your love. We pray for those who grieve. We pray for the king and the royal family at this time. We remember them as family members grieving a mother and a grandmother. And we pray that they might find comfort and hope in this resurrection faith. But as we remember them, Lord, we remember so many more people who this week will be thinking of their own losses and pains and bringing their own questions and doubts. And in your large heart, which has room in your large heart which sent your Son to die and rise again to offer hope and to clear the way, we pray that good news will be heard and reassurance offered. Lord, we pray for all those who at this time are afraid for other practical reasons. Our prayers remain for the people of Ukraine and for all those caught up in wars and conflicts all those who fear that the world that they know might come crashing down at all times. We pray for those fearful because of medical diagnoses or conditions. We pray for those fearful for the economy and for their jobs and for whether they can put food on the table or heat their homes. Oh Lord, we do pray in our day that there would be compassion in our society. We do pray in our day that Christians, wherever they are, would be advocating and speaking for justice and for love. Until that day, when all the tears and the pain and the want is ended, and when the world is full of your glory and your love. Amen. We're going to close by singing the song that we that we learned before by faith. Sorry, by faith. By faith, we see the hand of God. I can never remember the full words. <laughs>
And now go, believing in Jesus Christ, who suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified, but on the third day rose again and ascended to heaven. Believing in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you this day and forever.